the second he properly acknowledges his Creator, he expresses joy. And the same is true for you today. If you would rightly acknowledge how it is that God is sovereign over every single area of your life and you acknowledge His authority over every single detail of your life, with that understanding there comes purpose to every area of your life. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part eight of Where Can Meaning Be Found? A nine-part series through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Are you a clock watcher? That is, are you continually fighting the all-too-fast-moving clock because you can't get everything finished? On the other hand, perhaps you've entered your autumn years and you regret what the rapid passage of time has brought you. Well, today we begin to close out our series in Ecclesiastes in this section entitled Living Well Under the Sun from chapter 11, verse 7 to the ending of chapter 12, verse 14. Pastor Paul says, quote, This is Solomon's conclusion. You can picture the scene, an old man sitting on his throne, understanding the fact he will not be around much longer, end quote. It's likely that few people have seen anything like the glory and crowning achievements that God brought to Solomon's life. Is he grateful? Here's part eight of Where Can Meaning Be Found? No series in Ecclesiastes is really complete without uh, considering the conclusion, Solomon's conclusion in 11 verse seven, turn there if you would, uh, 11 seven up till the end. Ecclesiastes, Chapter 11, verse 7 reads, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, 
or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So reads the word of God. Maintain good physical health. Learn to manage stress. Discover yourself. Have healthy relationships. Explore your career path. Eat clean and eat often. Hydrate. Sleep for seven to eight hours every night. Whoever wrote that did not have kids. Take a multivitamin. Don't dwell on the past. Set goals. Believe in yourself. All of these are suggestions given by the internet when you search how to live well. Some of them are helpful, all of them are superficial, all of them fail to address the most fundamental of human problems, that is of sin and a right acknowledgement of the Creator. In a sense, that list that I just read you does function as a commentary on the times in which we live, times which are most aptly described as secular. Since the Enlightenment onwards, we have seen the advance of secularism, whereby society has become less and less theistic. Now, we have to be careful with our definitions. Secularism is not disbelief in God per se. It is not a rejection of God per se. Secularism is not atheism. There are many today who want something to do with God. There are many today who would affirm some kind of belief in God. There are many spiritual people today. They certainly want to experience the love of God. They want to experience the grace and the kindness of God. The thing that defines the society in which we live is that people don't want any binding authority from God. They don't want to know any authority given by him. What defines secularism is not the rejection of God per se, but the rejection of any binding authority. I believe in God, just don't tell me what to do. That's the age in which we live. Authority is minimized. Authority in the home is minimized. Authority in the workplace is minimized. Authority in society is minimized. And of course, it begins with the rejection of the authority of God. We live in a secular world. 
And it is at this point that we understand our times intersect with the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been walking through it, and you may have heard me say that Ecclesiastes speaks to every worldview. Ecclesiastes speaks to every philosophy and every system of thought. We see Solomon working these things out in his life. But above all, if there is one overarching worldview that's at play in the book of Ecclesiastes, if there is one overarching system of thought that we see in this book, it is that of secularism. Solomon was living a secular life. Did he know God? Of course. You have to remember that Solomon had led the people of Israel in worship to the Lord. He had built the temple to the Lord. He had led them in a united display of sacrifice to the Lord. But did he obey God? Well, as he went through his life ever so surely and slowly and subtly, he began to turn his back. So that eventually we see a man who did not submit to the law of God. Ecclesiastes gives a picture of a secular life, one without a proper acknowledgement of God, suffering all the consequences of that choice. And if we think about it, the book of Ecclesiastes actually tells a story. It is the memoirs of a king written at one time, but if you think about it, at the beginning of the book, we see a man who is embarking on one search after another, he is trying one thing and then another thing to see if he might find ultimate joy and satisfaction. When you get to chapter 3, the tone of the book changes somewhat. It seems like the searches themselves are over, and now we move into a period of reflection. Now, still from the same vantage point, a man who did not want to submit his life to the Lord and was trying to do everything his own way, and yet less search and more reflection. And then as you carry on through the book and you reach this passage here, 11.7 to the end, what we get, it would seem, is an old man reflecting on the life that he has lived. This is Solomon's conclusions. He draws his memoirs to a close. You can picture the scene, an old Solomon now sitting on his throne, passing on his wisdom to his son, understanding the fact that he will not be around for much longer. He must hand his kingdom over. It would seem that the word regret is going through his thoughts over and over again as now he thinks with clarity about how he must submit his life to the Lord. He has learned many lessons the hard way. And so what will he say in his closing words? The question might be for us, how is it we might avoid living out the same life that Solomon had lived? How would we avoid making the same mistakes? We might say, how can I live well under the sun? We must exist where we are, outside of Eden, for as long as the Lord decides to, to carry on in this way in redemptive history before he brings it to fulfillment. Here we are in a broken world. How can I live well under the sun? And Solomon gives essentially one answer. His one answer is this, you must fear the Lord. You must fear the Lord. This is the theme that dominates this closing section of Ecclesiastes. You do well to see that there are at least three times in which Solomon gives us this instruction. There are three commands or imperatives around which this whole text is built. You see it first in 11 verse 9, 
where Solomon says, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. A second key imperative that he gives is in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then, of course, again, in verse 13 of chapter 12, he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Those three exhortations are somewhat synonymous, we will come to see. The burden of Solomon as he passes on his wisdom, his closing words, is simply that you would fear the Lord. Now, it's worth us taking a few moments to consider exactly what that means before we jump into the text. Many of you know that the wisdom literature in the Bible majors on this one concept. We're told elsewhere that to fear the Lord is the fountain of life. Fear of the Lord prolongs life. And of course, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a rational part to the fear of the Lord that can be learnt. That's why the psalmist tells us, I will now teach you the fear of the Lord, Psalm 34. That would involve things like knowing God's character and knowing his commands. And then there is a non-rational part, which involves the inclination of the human heart. This is sought out through much prayer in much humility. It's acknowledging your need of God. Father, give me a heart that would fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is oftentimes found to be synonymous in Scripture with the love of the Lord, two sides of the same coin. And so it is that one writer gives us this definition, that the fear of the Lord is an affectionate reverence, an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Let me read that to you again. I commend this to you as a definition of the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to have an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. This is the disposition that you must have. This is the lifestyle that you must lead day by day by day. This is, as it were, the antidote to secularism. How might you cure yourself of a secular worldview? You bend your will humbly and carefully every day to your father's law, having an affectionate reverence for him. And this is the point at which Solomon has finally arrived and he passes this exhortation on to us. And as he does pass that on, what we see is a picture of a life well lived under the sun. Or more specifically, Solomon gives us three consequences of fearing the Lord, three benefits or ramifications that naturally arise out of a healthy and a biblical fear of the Lord. And we'll examine those this evening. The first is that to fear the Lord enables you to enjoy life. To fear the Lord enables you to enjoy life. Chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. Look again at verse 7 with me. Solomon says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Friends, this is the most positive statement in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a far cry from statements that have been found earlier in the book. For example, in chapter 4, Solomon says, I thought a dead man more fortunate than the living. 
In chapter 6, he says of an unsatisfied man, a stillborn child is better off than he. Throughout the book, we read of the fact that life is vanity. We see a man experiencing frustration and futility. And here, by contrast, he says light, which is understood to be a metaphor for life itself, light is sweet and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. At last, Solomon is finally looking up. At last, he's broadening his perspective. He is understanding that even in a broken world, there is a means by which life can be enjoyed and not simply endured. He carries on and he repeats the same idea in verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Now, it is true that Solomon tempers that almost immediately as he says, let him rejoice in the days. Remember that the days of darkness will be many. But that is not a negative statement. He is simply acknowledging the fact, again, that we are east of Eden, that suffering and trials are a reality of life. They will come to us all. And notice what he says about the suffering and the trial. All that comes is vanity. Even with respect to the pain of life, Solomon is able to say now it is fleeting. It's not ongoing forever. And so what we actually have here is an honest reflection of life under the sun that instructs us to live in such a way that we delight in the warmth of the sun. Are we in paradise? No. But can we rejoice? Yes. Solomon presses the point home by saying it yet another way in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Solomon is not simply repeating himself here, but he's actually going further. He's expanding upon this principle by encouraging us to pursue the good things of life. He's not simply saying you can enjoy them, but he's saying go after them. Walk and pursue that which your heart finds pleasurable. And I know already there are some of you sat here who are feeling nervous. That feels like some kind of license to indulge in the lust of the flesh. And it's for that reason that Solomon immediately qualifies it with the statement, know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, the certainty of this statement in Solomon's mind must be stressed. He's already told us three times in this chapter that there are many things that we cannot know. So look up to verse 2. He says, for you know not. He says again in verse 5, you do not know. In verse 6, he says, for you do not know. The point being, there are many things in life about which we are uncertain. But here, by contrast, Solomon says, there is one thing about which we can be absolutely certain, and that is the coming judgment of God. We will all of us stand before the Lord and give an account for our life. And with this, in the forefront of Solomon's mind, he says you are free to embrace the fullness of life. Indeed, if you think about it, the certainty of God's sovereignty and his watchfulness over your life, the certainty of God's authority over your life is not simply a regulating force to your pleasure, but it is an enabling force to your pleasure. All the way through the book, we've been reading of a man frustrated by life, 
because he was not properly acknowledging God. And the second that he acknowledges God, joy. The second he properly acknowledges his creator, he expresses joy. And the same is true for you today. If you would rightly acknowledge how it is that God is sovereign over every single area of your life and you acknowledge his authority over every single detail of your life, with that understanding, there comes purpose to every area of your life. You understand that he has not given you over to chaos and that meaninglessness is not a principle that reigns in your life. He has ordered your steps. And so we are free and we are enabled to enjoy the life that God has given us. It is no accident that as we live in a secular age, an age that is marked and defined by a rejection of any binding authority from God, the suicide rates are as high as ever. The rates of depression are as high as ever. The present generation of young people express dissatisfaction in the workplace. On and on the statistics go. Why? Because they do not want to acknowledge the authority of God. And if you would acknowledge it, then it becomes an enabling truth, a truth that propels you into to an embracing of and an enjoying of all that God has ordained for you. The danger is that you would read Ecclesiastes and you would join them in their conclusion that life is meaningless. The danger is that you would read Ecclesiastes chapter after chapter, and you would see all of these statements about the futility and the frustration of life, and you would conclude that there is no meaning, that nothing matters. Friend, that is a bad conclusion to draw from this book. The message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters. The message of Ecclesiastes is that everything matters. Everything matters because it all comes under the sovereignty of God who has ordained every single detail of your life and you will give an account for it. So you are now free to embrace it and to enjoy it to live skillfully and to figure out how to navigate the contours of life, but to do so in such a way that you are embracing the life that God has given you. And notice how there are no qualifying footnotes in Solomon's statement. Look again at verse eight. He says, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. No footnotes. He doesn't give any exceptions. This is a universal exhortation. As I thought through this text with Laura earlier in the week, we paused just for a minute to consider the reality of her day-to-day -day life. And it is much the same as for many of you mothers. Every day, her life is marked by diapers. It is marked by spillages. Mom, I spilled it again. It is marked by a ton of laundry. That's the reality, and it is easy. It can be very easy to grow despondent when that is what marks your day-to-day -day life. But the exhortation of Solomon is to acknowledge that God has ordained that. He has ordained every single detail, and our responsibility is to embrace the life that God has given us. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. The Exhortation of Solomon 
is to acknowledge that God has ordained every single detail. Our responsibility is to embrace the life that God has given us. I hope that each of us will embrace and obey this godly advice. If you'd like to hear this message or any message in this nine-part series again, we have it ready for you on our website, TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts for our complete audio archive of these messages. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Be sure and listen tomorrow for the conclusion of our nine-part series of Where Can Meaning Be Found? Hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.